occasionally, um, not all the time, but a lot of times, several times it's happened, these uh, athletes will retire and then they'll go on these uh, farewell tours. And what that is, is, is that they'll retire and then the rest of the year they uh, go to these cities and they have these special events for them and celebrate uh, their career and uh, give them all these prizes and gifts and, and accolades. And it's kind, of a, it's kind of a time where they are allowed to reflect upon their achievement and receive the honors that are due them. It's called a farewell tour. Julius Irwin took one, took a, lasted a year. <laughs> now, I'm not on a farewell tour tonight, but uh, <laughs> uh, if you're getting your hopes up that I was fixing to resign, that's not right. But I want to talk about Elijah's farewell tour, okay? Now, there's a strange thing that happens here, and it took me a long time to figure out what was going on in this second chapter, in this um, event, and I want to try to um, lay it out before us tonight in, in, in what really was going on here. So I want you to turn to this account of the farewell tour. We'll begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 2. And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, Elijah, Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be still. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I'll not leave you here. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? Your friend here is going to die. And, uh, and he answered, Yes, I know. Be still. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourselves familiar, don't live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Now fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters, and they were divided here and there, so that the two of them crossed over on dry land. Now it came about when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am, t am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. It's a big request. Nevertheless, 
If you see me where, when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it came about as they were going along and talking, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more, then he took hold of his own clothes, tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the waters, they were divided here and there, and Elijah crossed over. Now, what, what this is, this event is, is um, in my humble and accurate opinion, is a description of the elements or the components, you might call them, or the fundamentals of life. They, they, they describe event, an event or a time or a place where a person can go back and put his finger there and say that this time, this place, or at this particular moment in time, something happened here that was transforming for me, that was life-changing for me. And at this point, at this time, at this place, something that was um, uh, monumental occurred in my life. Now, for some of us who have reached the end of, you know, at least we're headed down the slopes on the far side, we, we want to use this... Um, uh, story and look back and kind of do a, like a little checkpoint and, and you know remember it's kind of a journey in time back to the times when and for those of you who are young people I want you to follow closely with me because what this uh, story describes is what is what happens along the way of the journey of life and those elements or fundamentals or components that make up life for us and how they occur, when they occur, etc. Now Elijah was a person who had knowledge beforehand that he was going to be taken up. He not only knew when it was going to happen, but where it was going to happen and how it was going to happen. Now that's not, you know, uh, common for every person. I suppose that nobody really has ever uh, had that you know, experience or has had that privilege. I guess it'd be a privilege to know when and where and how he's going to be taken out of here. And nobody will ever experience what Elijah experienced except those who are alive when Jesus returns. And that's what makes this second chapter so irrelevant because it is a perfect illustration of what's going to occur if a person is still alive when Jesus comes back. And so he's on his way to the Jordan and he knows that he's going to die there. He knows how he's going to die and he knows when it's going to happen. And God's telling um, Elijah, I'm going to take you to the Jordan, but this is how I'm going to get you there. I'm going to take you by this route, by Gilgal, by Bethel, 
by Jericho to the Jordan. It'll be like saying, uh, you know, you need to go to Dallas today, and here's the route you're going to take. You need to go to Albuquerque, San Francisco, and El Paso to get there. I mean, long way around. So what he's doing here is that he's describing on the way to death, the things that make up life on that journey. It's a, magnif- it's a marvelous thing to look at. Now, so we come to Gilgal. Now, Gilgal is the place of beginnings. Now, if you'll turn to the fourth chapter of the book of Joshua, I don't know how much time we're going to have to really work on this, but I hope we'd have time to really you know, spend a little time working on it. But if you look at uh, chapter 4 of the book of Joshua, you'll find something about Gilgal. It says, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they've taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Now Gilgal was this place of beginnings. It It was the first stop when the people of God got into the new land. And it typifies or it represents the place where one's Christian life begins. It represents the place where this new life we find in Christ has its beginning. Now, the Bible declares, the Bible makes plain that for every person there is a particular point in time where he comes to know Jesus Christ and he begins the Christian journey. What a difference a day can make in the life of an individual. Um, What a difference a day made in the life of Walter Scott when he met his idol, um, Robert Burns. And and, and Walter Scott was a a cripple. He was a boy, a little boy with a limp. And one day he was standing out on 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 the schoolyard watching other little boys play when Robert Burns, his idol, came up. We're not told why he was there. But he walked over to this little boy who was crippled and put his hand on his head and they talked a little bit. He patted him on the head and he said, one of these days you're going to be a man. And Walter Scott said, when he turned away, I began to weep. And his noticing me in that moment changed my life. And later on, after he had met, he had... uh, achieved one of his great accomplishments, Walter Scott was, was uh, knighted, and we know him as Sir Walter Scott. What a difference a day made in the life of Columbus when this man looking for a new route to the Indies stumbled on a new continent and changed the face of the world. What a difference a day made in Martin Luther's life when one day he was crawling on his knees up the penitential steps in the church in, in, in Rome reciting the rosary and, and, and the uh, commands of the Roman Catholic Church, but ringing in his ear were those words that he had found in Scripture in several places, that just shall live by faith. And he had, he had believed that salvation was vested in the church and in the sacraments of the church, but he couldn't get away from those Scriptures. And he, come, he came to find out on his knees that salvation was by grace through faith alone, that salvation was through faith in Jesus Christ, and the Reformation began. What a change a day made in the life of Saul of Tarsus, and he could take us to the very spot where it happened, and at the very time, it was about noonday when it occurred, that in this bright light he met Christ face to face. 
Now, if I were to ask you your testimony tonight, several of you could get up and say, I can take you to the time, and I can take you to the place where I was when I first met Jesus Christ as my Savior. And from that moment on, my life has never been the same. It is the Gilgal of everybody's experience. And the poet put it like this, I had walked life's path with an easy tread. I had followed where pleasures and comfort led until one day in a quiet place I met the Master face to face. With station and rank and wealth for, for a goal, much thought for my body but none for my soul, I'd entered to win in life's mad race till I met the Master face to face. I had built my castles and reared them high till the towers pierced the blue sky. I'd sworn to rule with iron mace when I met the Master face to face. I met him and knew and blushed to see that his eyes full of sorrow were fixed on me. I faltered and fell at his feet that day while my castles melted and vanished away. Melted and vanished and in their place I saw naught else but the Savior's face. I cried aloud, oh make me meet to follow the steps of your wounded feet. My thoughts are now for the souls of men. I've lost my life to find it again ever since that day in a holy place I met the master face to face. Now what, what Elijah's doing is he's going to Gilgal and he's reflecting on the Gilgal of his life, the place and the time where he met Christ, where he met God face to face. I think it's important that we make that journey from time to time where we go back and relive and rethink and re-experience when we came down an aisle or we bowed our head in our parents' uh, room uh, den or we got on our knees in a pastor's study and we asked Jesus Christ to come into our life and in that moment we began life's greatest journey, the journey to, of the cross, the journey of the Christian life. Then he said after that he, he went to Bethel now the interesting thing about Bethel is that it is the place of altars. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. Let's take a quick look. It happened in the day of Abraham. And Abraham, you remember, God told him to get up and, and uh, go out into a land that he would show him. And, and, and he says in, in, in chapter 12 of Genesis, this is the record, verse 8, Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the, on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord. And if you'll turn sometime, I won't have a chance to look at it tonight, just tell you the references to Genesis chapter 28 and Genesis 31. Bethel is the place where Jacob stopped. First time, it's where he wrestled with the Lord, and the second time was on his way back after he had uh, gotten his wives and, were, and was headed home. And he came to this place, Bethel, and why, I, I don't know, but that in, in, the, in the experience of these patriarchs of the faith, it was the place where altars were built. It was the place of altars. It was the place where people, where the men of God made their commitments to Him. Um, now, 
without being too um, free with uh, scripture and too, um, uh, you know, practice eisegesis too much, let me say that, that I think that sometimes we have to go back to the places where we've made the promises we've made. And so Elijah walks through the city of Bethel and he remembers the altars he's erected to God. He's remembered the commitments he's made and the promises. Do you? I have found, you know, uh, in my own experience and in the experience of other Christians, that sometimes these vows we make and the commitments we make after we have been saved are even more life-changing. Is that true with some of you? I, uh, I, I think some, you know, I, I, got, I was saved when I was a young person, but when I talk about my conversion experience, I talk about when I was a senior in high school because it was at that time in my life where I really, really placed my life on the altar of God. Although I'd been saved as a middle school age person. And, and really, that, that time in my life was even more life-changing than my salvation experience because I had so many more alternatives and so many more options and so many more roads to take. Now, what about these things you've committed to God in the past? Let's, let's go back and relive some of them, the promises you've made. Some of you have made promises in marriage at an altar of God. It's pretty good sometimes to renew that commitment. And some of you have committed your life to be a preacher or to be some kind of Christian vocational servant. It's good to keep that fresh. It's good to walk among the memories of the altars we have erected and of the times we have committed our life to Christ in various ways, maybe at Falls Creek. You remember those promises you made at Falls Creek? Our times in revival meetings or in some kind of special service where the Spirit of God moves mightily and we come to an altar and we make promises to God. Now we need to remember those and understand as young people that there are times in every life where we have to come back to an altar and renew our commitment to Him. It's when we get away from Him. Okay. Then he said that he took him down to Jericho. Now here's what Jericho was in the, li in the history of these people. If you'll turn to the, uh, uh, I believe it's the 6th chapter of Joshua, we'll look at verse 20. 6th chapter of Joshua, verse 20. So the priests shouted, the people shouted, and the priests blew the trumpets, and it came about when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, that the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. Now Jericho is the place of battles. I've said before, I think, you know, several times in this pulpit that that uh, uh, I know what it's like to, to, to look on television and see, um, you know, uh, this um, celebration of um, D-Day's invasion. Last, last summer, on June the 6th, we celebrated the 50th year since the invasion of D-Day. And in Normandy, on that beach where those soldiers came across, um, they have monuments erected, and they have this elaborate service this, this summer. Some of you saw it on television. Well, I had a brother die on that beach. 
And it was a place where the, it's, it's a, uh, believed by military strategists that that was the place where the war was won, where a wedge was driven into that country for the soldiers to, to invade, and the war was over, although the skirmishes continued for a while after that. It's a place of battles. And so Elijah, God led him back to Jericho because God wanted to remind him of the battles of life. He wanted to remind him of those, those times when he did battle, sometimes with the devil, sometimes with himself, sometimes in, with other people, really. And it's a good thing if you're a past, you know, if you're on the backside of the journey to, to reflect on the battles that you fought in the past. And it's a good thing to remember those of us who are young that, that life is filled with them. And you're going to do combat all the way to the end of this. In fact, the scripture describes the Christian life as a warfare and, as, and we as soldiers. And he's reminding us that there are skirmishes all the way along and you better be armed, you better be uh, prepared for the battle. So he says, put on the whole armor of God so you can withstand against the evil one and the evil day. And then he comes to the Jordan. Now the Jordan is the place of death. It's not only the place of physical death for Elijah, but in the Bible the Jordan represents the place of spiritual death. It's the place where one comes to die to self. Die to self. Jesus uses this analogy. He said, I want you to take up your cross daily and follow me. And what he's talking about there is this Daily dying to self. Now let me tell you what dying to self means in my opinion. It means that you choose against yourself. You choose against yourself, young people. You choose against yourself. Taking up the cross means that I voluntarily endure the consequences of an exclusive allegiance to Jesus Christ. Let me say it again for emphasis. I voluntarily endure the consequences of an exclusive allegiance to Jesus Christ. I take up my allegiance to Jesus Christ and I voluntarily accept the consequences of that. That's what it means to take up your cross daily. And there is all the way through the scripture this, this insistence that there are those times in a person's life where he has to choose against himself. He may want to do this, but he knows it's not right, so he chooses against himself. He may want to cheat on a test. He may want to uh, experiment with alcohol and drugs. He may want to be involved in relationships in an illicit way, but he chooses against himself. He may want to be dishonest in business. Whatever there is that your mind can imagine, that Jordan represents the fact that there has to be times when a person dies to his own desires. Now, all of us have these places in our lives, places of beginnings. Sometimes it's a place of beginning again. Places of altars, listen to me, where I first learned sacrifice, the loss of a mate, or a child, or a job, or a dream. 
a place of battle where teenagers would not give up stubborn wills. Battles against the flesh drawing me to decisions that are illicit and immoral. Battles against pressures from people. A place of death, that is physical death or death to self. And all of us come to those components, those elements in life, in the journey. That's the journey. Now here's the last word in verses 7 through 9. Elijah asked Elisha, what do you want me to do for you? And Elisha's answer was, you've done great miracles. I'd just like to have twice the power you possess. Seems like a, uh, an unusual request, but you know, you can ask big things from God. I'd like twice the power. Now, if you were given... You had one choice of what you could have in life. What would that choice be? If somebody came up to you tonight and said, "Hey, take your pick." I don't, you know, the lottery. You know, take your pick. You have one choice. Would you pick out some person who has succeeded in the in the steps of life, in the beginnings? In the, in the commitments made at the altars, at the places of uh, battle and death, would you pick out somebody like that and say, I'd like to be like that person, that's what I want in my life, with twice the success. Pick you out somebody. And try to find, let me, let me challenge you, Pick out somebody like that and try to find out the secret. Where did they come to the place of beginnings? How did they get there? And how did they get to this place where they're able to continually place their life on an altar of God? And how did they win these battles that they fought? For all, all of us fight the battles. And what is their secret of the daily dying of self? And then ask God to make you like that person. Only twice as powerful. And so Elijah gave him his mantle, and Elisha took the mantle. Well, you see, when a man of God dies, God doesn't die. And he just passed on the mantle and the heritage to Elisha. And he took up where Elijah was and had, you know, he just took up from there. I want to, you know, I want to just say parenthetically that each of us, you know, is leaving something behind to somebody. And each one of us is taking from somebody something. You can't get through this life without giving and receiving. Now, what are you leaving to someone who comes behind you? When you graduate this, this, this spring, what, are, what kind of legacy are you leaving the, the people that follow you? When you go out of this life, what kind of legacy are you leaving? And what do you want from people? That is, what do you desire to get from others? The best they have or the worst? That's the question. 
And so he asked for the mantle, and that Christian heritage was given him. Now there are two things, two lessons, so I'll do this and quit. When one has lost a loved one, it's not a time to stop, but a time to affirm God's great power and a time to move on. And some of us have to claim the mantles of tomorrow. Um, a chickadee asked the wild dove, how much does a snowflake weigh? And the wild dove said, nothing, no more than nothing. And the chickadee said, well, in that case, I need to tell you a story. I was sitting on the branch of a fir tree near the trunk, and it began to snow. Not a blizzard, just a soft snow falling as in a dream. And I didn't have anything else to do, so I started counting the snowflakes that fell on the twigs and the needles of the branch. There were exactly 3,752,963 flakes until the next flake fell, the one you say weighs nothing, no more than nothing. And then the branch broke and the chickadee flew away. And the wild dove thought for a moment and said, maybe it's just there is lacking one more voice for peace to come into the world. Just your voice with mine and peace comes to the world. And so when, when one leaves, another has to take their place, you see. And all that is necessary is that all of our voices together and all of our gifts together and all of our talents together make a difference in the world. Second lesson is one I want to read, and I want you to read it with me. It's found in 1 Thessalonians, that New Testament book, chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. I'm going to start reading at verse 13 as soon as you find it. Here we go. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that they may not grieve, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, this is God's word, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. There's going to be at a time when you and I know not where the trumpet sounds and the voice, the shout is heard from one end of the earth to the, for the next 
and we're going to be caught up out of this earth. Have you, can you put your finger on a place of beginning for a Gilgal where you literally gave your life to Jesus Christ? And have there been promises that you have placed on the altar that you've not kept? And have there been battles that you have lost? And have there been times when you've chosen for self and you've lived for self, you've not died to self? In light of the fact that the trumpet sounds and the Lord returns, these things need our attention. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that before we come to the Jordan, all of these components in life will be satisfactorily met by each one of us. For I pray in Jesus' name.